This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Bacon. You can find it everywhere from stacked on BLTs and breakfast sandwiches to sprinkled on donuts and salads. It's pretty much the go-to ingredient when you want to make anything taste better. But if you're well-versed in the animal welfare, environmental or personal health concerns that come along with bacon, you'll know it is also one of the worst things you can eat. The World Health Organization declared that processed meats like bacon are carcinogenic, meaning they are linked to cancer. And given high rates of diabetes and heart disease in the U.S., the last thing we need is more bacon sprinkled on more things. This is a sentiment that serial entrepreneur Bill Glazer is very familiar with, and it ultimately led him to launch his first plant-based food business, Outstanding Foods. Pig Out is Outstanding Foods' first product, and it's a mushroom-based chip that tastes just like crispy, salty bacon. Now, surely anyone who likes to eat plant-based has tried traditional tempeh bacon or a few of the substitutes that are now on the market. And frankly, we've all leveled with the fact that they rarely taste like the real thing. But pig-out chips are a dead ringer, trust me. I recently had the pleasure of meeting up with Bill in the Outstanding Foods office to learn more about his plans to disrupt the bacon industry. And of course, to sample some of his delicious plant-based bacon chips. In this conversation, we get into Bill's background as an entrepreneur and how starting a food company differs from launching any other kind of business. We get into his vision for outstanding foods, including plans to expand pig out from chips to bacon strips and even bacon cheese. Plant-based, of course. He also gets into his plans to create chicken and steak chips and expand all the way into the meat alternative space. Bill wants to make products that can transcend what he calls the vegan chorus and appeal to everyone. In his view, bacon chips aren't just a super delicious snack. They're a gateway to a healthier population and a more balanced planet. I truly enjoyed this informational and engaging conversation, and I certainly hope you do too. Bill Glazer from Outstanding Foods, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. So happy to be here with speaking with you and your audience. Thanks for having me. So I got, thanks for inviting us here and for allowing me to eat a, way too much of your bacon chips. Uh, I tried it right now. In fact, um, I can't stop eating it because my 
first reaction when I put it into my mouth was just, wow. Um, I haven't eaten bacon in um, eight years, but I've tried every kind of uh, crispy bacon, mushroom, crispy bacon, uh, coconut, and every sort of attempt to recreate that um, burst of flavor that you get with uh, a bacon strip, which is why, you know, as sad as it is, the world loves bacon, right? At least America loves bacon. And, and I felt that and I tasted that uh, when I was eating your chips. So firstly, congratulations on creating such an amazing product. Um, I didn't know the need for it until I tried it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> thank you very much. The, your reaction of wow is exactly what we're going for. And our intent as a company is to bring plant-based foods to the masses. And so what we were looking at doing is we saw bacon as a big opportunity. Like you said, bacon is this wild trend uh, in the U.S. alone. It's an over $6 billion industry. And for us to reach the mass market audience, we were looking at how do we get to the mass market with a product that is inviting that we didn't have to overcome an inherent stereotype people have towards plant-based products. Most people that are mainstream consumers, when they walk by the plant-based meat and dairy section in the store, they think that's for other people. Mm -hmm. And so what we were looking at was coming out with a bacon strip, but the bacon strip, we didn't want to have to overcome a stereotype that a lot of people have, even though there's a shifting paradigm, there's been some phenomenal plant-based products that have really changed the game, like the Beyond Burger and Daya Cheese and some others. Um, but we didn't want to have to overcome the stereotype that a lot of mainstream consumers have that plant-based versions of the things they're replacing aren't as good. So our strategy was how do we reach them with a product that they already eat that's more innovative than what they're used to, hook them on our brand, and then come out with bacon strips and bacon cheese and then a whole variety of other products. And so the answer to that was chips. Yeah. And everyone eats chips. Even the staunchest meat eater, when they eat a chip, they don't think they're eating a vegan or a vegetarian product. It's just a chip. And there is no bacon chip that exists with real bacon. So we're not asking people to give something up to try our product, which is the dynamic that happens for other products that are plant-based. So we feel we've come out with a new category of snack food, a savory bacon-like product that happens to be plant-based, but the flavor profile is something we feel anyone could love. Yeah. And that wow that you gave us, that's what we're looking for. And that's what we've heard yeah. when people have tried the product. Yeah. And I have to say this, I was looking at your uh, the packaging of the product and, and some of the the artwork you have around here in your office. And I think this may be the first product that uh, deserves having a happy pig <laughs> as its mascot. Well, if you saw on the it's bag. It's subtle, but it's, it's not really. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we, we didn't want to be, and, and brands have changed yeah. that are plant-based. In the past, a lot of the, the vegan brands had a vegan feel to them. They were earthy. They were crunchy. They you know, had that you know, kind of mom and pop mm -hmm. feel to them. But they didn't have kind of the branding, the look and the feel that appealed to a mass market audience. And so now there are plenty of brands that can appeal to people who are vegan and vegetarian and, and eat predominantly plant-based, but also appeal to mainstream consumers. And so that's what we were going after with our, um, with our branding as well. But we wanted to have some playfulness and a little bit of edginess as well. So if you saw in our package, the pig is not just happy, but he's saying, finally, it's bacon I can eat. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice yes. that part. I haven't <laughs> held the package closed enough, I guess. Um, but, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about the product, your 
future plans uh, and what Outstanding Foods is setting out to do. But before we kind of move forward and, and kind of get into where things are now, I want to take a bit of a step back and, and let the listener who may not know who you are and your backstory, um, how is it that you know, you're, you've been a serial entrepreneur, you've, you've uh, founded uh, several companies over the past several years. How did your choices along the way lead you to the point where you've now launched a company like Outstanding Foods? Maybe you can give us a, like, if you were asked, like, so Bill, what, what, what is your deal? Why are you launching a food company? What did you do before this? Sure. How would you answer that? Yeah. Well, I don't know what the hell I'm doing is, is, is the real answer, but no, <laughs> the, the, um, my background, I started in finance. Mm -hmm. And so I was um, in an industry where, where everyone hangs out is the steakhouse. Yeah. And so uh, I've been vegan for over 28 years. And so back then, uh, I probably went to more steakhouses than most meat eaters. But I was always able to find something to You're eat. You're the original. One of the original, yeah. Originals. I mean, back, back then... 28 years ago, being vegan. Like what did you eat even? <laughs> well, a lot of salads, a lot of uh, tofu. Uh -huh. uh, but back then, the stereotypes that existed about what people who eat a plant-based diet were, you know, were much more limited in terms of the knowledge base that people had about a plant-based diet. It, it's drastically changed. But I've gone from being a freak from people's perception to now all of a sudden being cool because it's become so trendy and, and so many more people are seeking out and eating more plant-based foods and, and, and even becoming vegan or vegetarian. And so uh, I went from investment banking where I've raised a lot of money to being an entrepreneur. And I was always the, the entrepreneur as the kid. I was the kid that um, had the lemonade stand. I shoveled snow from people's driveways, knocked on people's doors, door to door. I was selling greeting cards and, and uh, vegetable seeds when I was five years old, door to door, wow. just so I could buy, make enough money to buy things. Didn't and you attempt to sell flags as well once? That was a business. And, and that actually, during the height of one of these uh, wars our, our country was in, there was this uh, surge in patriotism. And there was a huge demand for American flags, but most of these flag companies never had the capacity to meet the demand that they were getting. So I saw that as an opportunity. I left investment banking, started this business, and in just three weeks generated over a million dollars worth of orders. Right, okay. But that was the first time I was a, a real entrepreneur, not the childhood entrepreneur. And you think when you're an entrepreneur, when you start a business, that you're going to be infallible. And that, uh, especially when you're a young or a new entrepreneur, you don't often see uh, or anticipate the challenges that lie in front of every entrepreneurial path. And so I was one of those naive young entrepreneurs that thought, oh, I have a million dollars worth of orders. This is going to be huge. I'm going to, you know, that's just in three weeks, I'm going to generate tens of millions of orders and sales. The only problem was I didn't know how to manufacture a product. I didn't know how to fulfill a product. And so uh, I had issues with delivering the product and I lost that million dollars of sales that could have been 10 millions became zero. Mm -hmm. And so I actually lost money uh, but th that was one of the greatest experiences I ever had. And that's, you know, the perspective from an entrepreneurial pr uh, standpoint is that every experience is an opportunity to learn if you're open to learning and are needed experiences. So you gain the wisdom mm -hmm. of being more prepared the next time and figuring things out uh, in advance before you have the unfolding where you might not have the experience. Yeah. And so I learned a great deal from that, went on to found a number of other companies. Uh, a couple of them I've had some pretty significant exits and success with uh, and some other failures along the way, which is also part of the entrepreneurial path. But at a certain point, 
I use my business to have a purpose and not just selling products to make money, but selling products that I felt could inspire people to live a happier, healthier, more fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. And so that became my mission, my personal mission. And I put that into other businesses. So I had a multimedia company that created fitness and yoga DVDs. We had one that we sold through a 30 minute infomercial, reached a mass market audience, uh, had a tech company that um, was about connecting people um, and giving them social experiences that they often lacked and interaction and connections with people that they often lacked. And so um, having a purpose of doing good behind the companies that I was involved with became a really important thing. And I had thought about doing a food company in the past, a mm -hmm. plant-based food company. But for me, I never wanted it to be something that just preached to the choir yeah. and selling plant-based products to people who already ate a, a plant-based diet or predominantly plant-based diet, but one that can have an impact and reach people uh, that otherwise wouldn't be um, seeking out those types of products and having an impact to make them healthier, to reduce animal suffering, and to make a meaningful dent in the environment. Mm -hmm. But for me to start a plant-based food company that can achieve that, I couldn't, you wouldn't want to eat my food. So you <laughs> keep me out of the kitchen. I needed to have a co-founder or someone that had that capacity, had that ability. And I have that with Outstanding Foods with my co-founder, Chef Dave Anderson. Right. And Chef Dave Anderson uh, is someone who's one of the, the most um, uh, acclaimed uh, food formulators in the plant-based space. Uh, he first had a restaurant in Los Angeles called Madeline Bistro in which he was doing some really innovative things that people still aren't doing. And one of the things he developed was a plant-based egg replacer that he used in a lot of his uh, recipes. And so he was actually recruited to co-found Hampton Creek, which was originally based on his egg replacer. And then he moved on to Beyond Meat where he led product development uh, led the team that created the Beyond Burger, which has been a runaway success. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when he was thinking about leaving Beyond Meat after about four years and, and going back to his chef roots, using whole food ingredients, I was the lucky guy that got the call about whether I would be interested in starting a business with him. And for me, that was a hell yes answer. Yeah. And at the time, I had other companies I was involved with. And so from the yes, it was then figuring out what I was going to do to unwind the things that I was involved with so I could focus on outstanding foods and then for us to develop a strategy of what we were going to do with outstanding foods. And, um, but it's truly my passion. It's, mm -hmm. it's everything I feel I've done up until this point, having background in finance, having background as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and personally being vegan over 28 years and seeing how the market has shifted to be able now to have a company that we can make an impact uh, is is the thing that I'm most passionate about, and of, and of, and in in is the thing that, from a business standpoint, I've never had as much passion about yeah. what we're doing. Were you like afraid at this point? I wouldn't say af I don't think afraid's the right word, but when you know Dave approached you and you said yes, I'm going to do this. This sounds like um, it sounds like what I probably thought of doing for years, but never found the right partner to do it with. Um, but at the same time, you have, you know, you've got your hands in a lot of, had at least had your hands in a lot of different pies. Um, were you concerned about pulling yourself out of those probably well-established, um, well-financed, growing businesses to launch a food company at the end of the day, which is, you know, notoriously complicated, 
logistics heavy. Uh, it's um, you know developing a great product is just one aspect of it. It is probably the most important aspect of it. But if you don't get the other stuff right, or at least one or two of the other things right, it could all fall apart really quickly. Uh, so, what were kind of your concerns, and like, how did you overcome that? Like, I just want to get into your thought process, going from, you know, being a successful entrepreneur, running a few companies, selling some of them, some of them maybe doing not so great, but you were in a pretty good place in life. You didn't need to go start a food company, and here comes this idea. What drove you to then take the next the leap, really? Well, you have to begin with making a decision, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a it was a quick decision because. Dave is the guy. Dave is the the preeminent food formulator. And for me to have the opportunity to partner it with him was uh, really uh, a, an opportunity I couldn't turn down. So I said yes first <laughs> and then worried about figuring out how do I unwind one I'm in or how do I hire my replacements. And so, you know, starting with making a decision and, and not being over analytical, because I could have easily talked myself out of it if I thought yeah. about all the details and if I thought about the consequences to other investors or other team members of companies that I, that I was involved with, I, I, I could have overthought it and made that easy yes a more complicated no. Yeah. And so I started with yes, because I knew what my why was. I knew I had this purpose and the desire to want to make an impact mm-hmm. and make a meaningful impact on people's health and animal welfare and the environment. And with Dave, I felt we had all those essential ingredients. So the other things were just details to be figured out. Yeah. And that, I, and along the way, I figured them out and you, you have certain challenges or different uh, decisions you have to make, but you make them and, and you figure them out sometimes in advance and sometimes along the way. And that's what we've done to get to the point of launching not only our company, but our first products and our brands. Right. So, I mean, that intuition, I guess, is really crucial, right? At that point for you to know this is the right thing to do. And, you know, there's some signs that this couldn't be the best, better time. And it seemed like the person couldn't be the better person from a, from a product standpoint, you couldn't really be working with anyone better. Um, so you definitely had a few things in the pros column, but the cons I'm sure were pretty long too. Um, let's talk about how you started overcoming some of those cons. And I think what I see so far, I know it's very early in your journey really as a food entrepreneur, but first and foremost, it looks like you spent a lot of time in thinking not just about what product you're going to create and then actually formulating it and working hard to make it the best you could make it. But I think you all, from what I gather, especially, and I'm staring at the chips right now as I speak. <laughs> you, could, you could wipe the drool off of your, the size of your mouth. Is I, I see that, it forming. Yep. Yeah. Uh, partly because you picked, you've picked an interesting approach. Uh, and you kind of alluded to it where you said, you know, people will try the chips because they like bacon, crispy bacon, and they're going to be, and they like chips. Most people like chips. And that will be kind of a gateway to then or maybe introduce them to other products down the line, which are uh, way beyond chips and, and just a snack. Uh, also, the fact that you picked a category like snacks, which you know is growing. So, you know, I think from a, what I like about this um, product, besides, of course, the taste, I've only said that a hundred times now, is that from a business standpoint, you've picked uh, an amazing white space. There aren't many or any real bacon chips out there, period plant-based otherwise real bacon or otherwise right and but but people love chips and people love snacks um and people are looking for clean ingredients which i know is something else and we'll get 
more into the details of that um, because snacks and clean ingredients usually don't go together. Uh, you have to cut corners for something to be decadent and snack worthy. Um, and then, of course, it's plant-based, which taps into a third trend where people can eat this and maybe indulge in, with the snack and, and also feel good about you know themselves and maybe if they don't want to do it for themselves, be feel good about doing something positive for the world. I think most people recognize that plant-based foods are good for you and good for the world around you. So I guess my, my point in bringing that up is to is to walk through your thought process that arrived at this. Is, is Was the initial brainstorms to launch a bacon product and then that kind of morphed into this as the first beta version of it almost but you know being a still self kind of a product that stands for itself and can become its own category but then brings in a lot more down the line so yes. just kind of give us more details on that sure so when we started outstanding foods we looked at all of the products that dave has either developed or had in some semblance of development or or the ability to develop and our goal is to eventually be in every aisle of the market, to have products that are plant-based that you could find in every aisle of the market. So be in snack foods, be in the refrigerated section, be in a variety of things, even, even cereals. Um, and so what we looked at where we thought we had the best opportunity was in plant-based bacon, because most of the plant-based bacon strips that are on the market are made from soy, wheat gluten, or tempeh. And those kind of products are really kind of cool for people like me that used to eat bacon, don't anymore, people like you as well, Nil. And where you can make a strip or you can make a BLT and, you know, have some sort of the bacon experience. But if you're a mainstream consumer and you eat bacon and you have some type of awareness to eat more plant-based foods, those products are by and large going to be horrible for, for the bacon eater. And for people to adapt more plant-based foods in the, into their diet, they have to taste great. Mm -hmm. If they don't taste great, and people feel like they're making a sacrifice, then they have to develop a new habit. And new habits are really, really difficult for people to develop. That's why gyms do so well on mm -hmm. January 1st, because they're yeah. hooking people in with you know the allure of being in great shape. But how many of those people actually show up to the gym and, and work out to be in great shape? Far fewer than sign up. And so new habits are really difficult for people to adopt. So the way we were thinking, one, we have to lead with taste. Mm -hmm. Two, we felt we had an opportunity for plant-based bacon because we felt ours can be better in taste and texture so that people didn't feel like they're making a sacrifice. And then three, we looked at strategically, how do we go after and reach the mainstream consumer? We know people who are plant-based or vegan, we're going to have you know, the appropriate messaging so they know that this product is safe for them and good for them, and we're not neglecting them in any way, mm -hmm. but we also want to reach mainstream consumers. And so how do we do that? And so- to sell a plant-based bacon strip in a market that already has these plant-based bacon strips mm -hmm. that most people in the mainstream don't like is an uphill battle because you have to overcome mm -hmm. their stereotype that those products in general aren't as good. You yeah. can't ask them to take the leap that this one's going to be better. So strategically, we came up with the idea, let's convert that bacon strip the flavor pro profile into a snack food mm. that doesn't have a bacony flavor. Like you said before, there are some potato chip and corn chip companies that have a bacon flavor to them, but when you eat them, they taste like a corn chip with a little bit of a sort of a bacon flavor on top of it. It doesn't taste like crispy bacon. 
our intent was to create a product that tasted just like crispy bacon, but happened to be mm-hmm. plant-based. And so everyone eats chips, even the staunchest meat eater, when they eat a chip, they don't think, oh, I'm eating a vegan or a vegetarian product. It's just a chip. So we felt if we launch a chip, we don't have to overcome the inherent stereotype that people have towards plant-based foods. We can hook them on our brand because mm. they'll get hooked on the great flavor and the texture. And then when we come out with other products, it's more likely they're going to be buying those products because they're already connected to our brand yeah. and know that our products taste great. No, I mean, that's a, it's a brilliant strategy. I mean, I think you've taken the flavor and you're leading with the flavor. Uh, and, and there's the medium of delivering the flavor is, is this, this first product. And then you hook them on the flavor and the brand, of course. Um, and, and you kind of can introduce almost anything after that and people will most likely try it. Uh, and then once they try it, it'll be probably good enough where they'll be hooked onto it. So yeah, I see, I see how it's, it's a very different strategy. I've not seen something like that before. Of course, there are snack companies out there who have plant-based snacks, but they definitely don't have at least from what I've seen, not openly, uh, a, a vision like that where they're like, oh, this is just the first and this is going to lead to much more versus there, most companies that are offering plant-based snacks now are just plant-based snack companies. Um, so it looks like you know your, your plan, you kind of touched on it, but I'm getting a sense that Outstanding Foods is going, your vision for this company is to be one with several sub-brands in it and pick out the first one. So maybe we can... Let's dive a little deeper into that in terms of um, how do you see this sort of uh, rolling out? What are your goals with with Pig Out as a brand to begin with? And um, you know that's kind of your bacon umbrella brand. Um, and then where does it go from there? Yes. So you're right. Pig Out is a uh, vertical that is for bacon-related products, all plant-based but bacon-related products. So we're starting with the chips. We're going to come out with a bacon strip. We'll have bacon bits. We'll have a bacon cheese. We'll have other bacon-related flavored products. Uh, Then we're going to start other sub-brands. Everything's tying to outstanding foods. Mm -hmm. So if you saw on our package, the out in outstanding connects graphically to the out in pig out. And our slogan is full of flavor, free of guilt. So we're saying what's in the product, great taste, healthy ingredients, whole food ingredients, and what's not. No GMOs, no animal ingredients, nothing artificial, nothing chemical. So we're highlighting not only what's in, but what's out. And so that's the, uh, from a branding standpoint, Pig Out is our first sub-brand connected to Outstanding Foods. And we have plans for Chicken Out. We have plans for Steak Out. We have other plans for different verticals as we progress. The top of each one of those categories is going to be a chip Mm -hmm. to get people connected to the brand. And then as we travel down the verticals, there'll be replacements, there'll be chicken products, there'll be burgers eventually, there'll be uh, dairy products, gelato, mm-hmm. variety of other things. So we have a big vision. Mm-hmm. And our vision is uh, that as a business with a, with a mission and a purpose, that uh, oftentimes there, there are companies that have fantastic missions and fantastic purposes. But if you don't tie the business aspect to become a successful business to it, then you're limited in terms of how much of an impact you can make. So for us to make the impact that we want to make in improving people's health, eliminating or reducing animal suffering and making a a meaningful impact on the environment, we have to be a really successful business that not only thinks big, but acts big. And so, um, we, we, uh, we, we look at bacon and even these bacon chips very much the way Amazon looked at books where 
Amazon from day one, Jeff Bezos knew that they were going to become essentially what they've become. Maybe not to the exact extent, but essentially what they've become. But he also knew you had to have a focus. And so to become that, that first and biggest online bookstore was the gateway to bring people in where they were, you could now buy any book that you wanted to buy. You could buy it at a discount. You could get it delivered to you so you didn't have to go to the bookstores. And that was the way that they created the ecosystem and their business of active community, active customers, and then expanded upon that. And so that's the same way we look at the bacon products that we're launching with, and in particular the bacon chips, is that's our gateway, that's our books. Mm. But ultimately we plan to have a product product lines that are much more diverse and much more extensive, but where the commonality between everything is tasty as hell. Yeah. Well, and the name is... Firstly, the strategy is is super smart. Uh, the name is is outstanding. <laughs> uh, and um, what I'd, I'd love to understand, like, where do you see the company? And maybe this is too early, but I, I think it probably isn't, given how clear a vision you seem to have and how transparent you're about the vision, which I think is is refreshing. You sometimes don't hear that um, because you don't want to say too much before you even launched your first product. Um, so I like that, firstly. But where do you see this fitting within the larger food space, right? When you look at the category, and, and I'm not talking plant-based only, I'm talking about the the food industry in large. And if you walk into a grocery store, or walk into Whole Foods, where do you see um, outstanding foods as products and brands kind of fitting in? Is it literally, as you said earlier, in every aisle, in every category? And why... And I guess the, the to just play devil's advocate for a second, right? Why is it that um, uh, established food company or General Mills or someone else can't come in those categories and kind of pretty much copy you and eliminate you? What makes you think that this will, the brand will endure? Like how, and what is sure. your plan to make that happen? Sure. So, I mean, we, we have to, the first, first and foremost, we have to create a product and deliver a product that people really like, yeah. right? And so we, we believe we have the right product. Hopefully your uh, listeners will go on our site, pigoutchips.com and experience it for themselves. But it starts with the product and the flavor. You can't have a mission or a goal and have a, a um, inferior product. You have mm-hmm. to have a superior product that, in, a, in particular with a food product, that people love. And if they love it, then you're more likely to get more word of mouth. You're more likely to... Uh, get wider distribution, you're more likely to be in a position then to launch other products. Mm -hmm. We also have a patent that's pending on this product because it's a very unique process uh, and there's a very good likelihood we're going to get it issued. There's no guarantee at this point, but we've already gotten feedback from the the patent office. And so um, from that standpoint, we have intellectual property. But in a larger perspective of the market, what has happened in recent years is that the you know, I mentioned before, I, I was a freak from people's perception of what a vegan was 28 years ago when I first became vegan to now all of a sudden being cool. And so, you know, the market has dramatically changed and the perception of what either someone who's vegan or eats plant-based or eats predominantly plant-based is has dramatically changed. And so what often happens in any time an industry is being disrupted, like animal agriculture is now being disrupted by plant-based businesses and being led by consumer demand is at the early stages, a lot of companies, a lot of industries will fight it. Mm -hmm. And in the food space, uh, when soy milk started becoming popular and people were seeking it out, 
you all of a sudden started seeing a lot of these uh, Washington, D.C. nonprofits that were behind the scenes set up by the industry or the companies to put out misinformation about soy and the so-called detriments of soy as a way to fight and dig in against the man that was being lost to their products, to their dairy products, to soy milk and other non-dairy milk replacements. But when the surge in demand becomes overwhelming and these industries and these companies see that they are getting disrupted, then the smart ones will jump in and they'll, they'll play. And for, for a lot of the smart ones, that means not starting their own brands from scratch because they don't have the authenticity mm-hmm. and the connection to the consumer to be able to do that in most cases. So they either invest or acquire other companies. And there's been a number of plant-based companies that have been acquired, everything from Gardein to Corn to Dea to so many other companies. You have Tyson Foods that's invested in Beyond Meat and in uh, lab-grown meat companies like yeah. Memphis Meat and, and a variety of other things. So the, the companies in the meat agriculture space that are seeing this overwhelming surge of demand that it's not just a temporary trend are jumping in and they're jumping in mostly by making investments or making acquisitions. Those that aren't will lose and uh, go the way of uh, Blockbuster because they didn't see the changing trends and they got passed by. And Mm -hmm. so the smart ones are aligning themselves with companies that are authentic in terms of turning out and creating great tasting plant-based foods, but authentic also in the way of being able to reach people who eat a plant-based diet and those that don't where um, they can then um, enter the market in a a company that already has successful uh, uh, products and then help that company expand its distribution even much greater. Yeah, so I think we're in sort of a a probably a great time at the moment where we have, um, you know, if this is probably the right time to start a food company in this space because um, it is, we are at this moment where the intersection of all these different trends and with people wanting to support brands that mean something and stand for something. And in your case, I guess you, you know, Yes, the product is plant-based, and yes, it's amazing, and all that, and 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 of course, it is your big, bigger vision is going to uh, bring about a lot of good in the food system. But what's what's important is that you're being driven by the pure and simple reasons for why you've been vegan for 28 years. Is you want to now use food as a tool to bring about change in the world, and we are. What I'm trying to say is that we are at the time when people appreciate and understand that, and those authentic connections that your customers are going to make with you is what makes these kind of startup brands um, stand out. And, uh, and I think a big food company at this point is going to find it very challenging to just invent that kind of authenticity. So they're going to have to, you know, buy it and, you know, hopefully retain that, uh, that uh, brand mojo when they, when they buy the companies and not ruin it. I think of it very similarly, but it's completely different. This is much more emotion driven than even because it's food at the end of the day then can compared to technology but i think of it similarly to how you know when when the second you know the, you had the early wave of the internet uh you had the big uh web portals whether it was yahoo and aol and others and they were your giants and then you had the the second wave that came about i guess google was the first with search engines but eventually you had the social media platforms 
Um, and I give Yahoo as an example. I used to work there, so I'm going to – sorry, Yahoo, but I'm going <laughs> to say a few bad things. Um, I saw the challenge firsthand where you could literally see that the younger consumers were all shifting to these new platforms. Um, and they were attached to them for many reasons. One is they offered a better, different, new, cool service. It was the in thing. It's what people wanted. And Yahoo kept trying to catch up. And there were two examples of that with, with them trying to acquire, they acquired Flickr when Flickr was at its height of success. And then later they acquired Tumblr. Um, and both those platforms pretty much died uh, after that. They weren't able to retain that brand, you know, authenticity and connection that they had with the customers. They unsuccessfully tried to buy Facebook. Um, maybe things would have been different if they had succeeded at that. Uh, Looking at that parallel into the food space, it's 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 similar but very different in the sense that we're going through this, you know, startup boom right now in the natural food space overall, food and beverage space. Plant based is, I think, leading the way, and the beauty of the brands in this space is they're being able, they're able to connect with this growing plant forward or plant based consumer base, but more importantly this shifting mainstream consumer base. I'm using air quotes right now with mainstream. But basically, everyone who eats now is shifting towards these kinds of foods. So it is the it is the second wave or the early, early second wave in the food space, which is much we, we desperately need right now. And so I think, you know, this won't last forever. I don't think so. I think we're going to go through the, and maybe tell me if you agree, but I think we're going to go through a five-year or so, like a honeymoon period almost, where you can literally launch a company that has whatever crazy idea for a plant-based product. And there are going to be a lot of people riding that wave, investing money, acquiring these companies. Um, and eventually, you know, my hope is, and it's not a bad thing, that the plant-based foods will just become the dominant food in most grocery stores mm. by virtue of this cycle we're going through. But we're in this maybe early stages or maybe right in the midst of this this wave that's happening right now. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is when a large company acquires a smaller company, whether they're in food or not, the biggest advantage is those products have an opportunity for greater distribution. So mm -hmm. a lot of the plant-based food product companies that have been acquired now are you're seeing them explode in growth even further because they're getting plugged into well-established and wide-reaching distribution yeah. right so that's a that's a good thing because that helps reach wider base of consumers and more people have access to these really great plant-based products one of the risks that some of the larger companies have when they acquire a uh, a, a food product in particular a plant-based food product is maintaining the integrity with the customers that are loyal to those brands. And where some of these companies um, get into a trap is that they look for cutting costs and changing formulations and using less pure ingredients, yeah. in some cases even using ingredients that aren't plant-based uh, or trying to infuse um, different products that aren't plant-based into a brand. Mm. Uh, there was a restaurant in New York that you might be familiar with by Chloe that yeah. they wanted to, you know, use that brand that she established in a, in a, in, in with hundred percent plant-based and, and add meat into, um, the, the brand. And, and so, you know, the, 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 
the slippery slope for a lot of these larger companies when they're acquiring a plant-based company is if they change the formulation, if they change the ethos and the integrity of the brand of the product, they risk not only devaluing the company they acquired, but losing a good portion of the customers. And so those companies have to, you know, not only look at the business opportunity, but they have to look at the, the, uh, consumers that they've acquired with that and treat those consumers with the utmost respect by giving them the types of products that they have um, been used to from the brands that they've acquired. And so some of those brands, when they change the formula or they change the ethos of those companies are losing Mm -hmm. brand loyalty with their customers. And so there's the plus of the wider distribution, but there's then the, the, the uh, risk that they have by thinking like the, a lot of the corporate uh, leaders think yeah. in terms of, oh, let's, we can cut costs here and we could use this cheaper ingredient and this cheaper ingredient without having an understanding of the customer base mm-hmm. that the founders might've had or the, or the team of the, of the businesses that they acquired had. And then, the, and then they can lose that brand loyalty and they could lose, um, a lot of business as a result. So, you know, our intent is that we understand we're operating in a space that's fast growing, that there are bigger players and you know, there may be some of those opportunities for us down the line, but whether it's through those opportunities or even becoming a bigger company ourselves, it's always with the intent of staying true to the integrity of the product and the ingredients and not deviating from that no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really important thing that I think, you know, a lot of plant-based companies have that intention, but after they get acquired, um, then a lot of the formulations change, a lot of the ingredients change, and that creates a big disappointment for their consumers and something that often a lot of the Fortune 500 companies don't uh, look at. Yeah, the decision-making is very different at that level, right? It's like departments and and this brand you know, manager and someone else, and um, at the end of it, it's just, you know, it's numbers-based decisions um, that may seem... Uh, good on paper as such if you're really only focused on the bottom line which you should be focused on of course you wouldn't have a successful business but you forget that by maybe in the short term that may make sense and what you don't realize is you've basically um, cannibalized your 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 consumer base and you've ruined everything Um, and you know there's some recent examples of um, which I think is an interesting trend Uh, Coca-Cola for example with the acquisition of Honesty and a few other natural brands is starting to now, I, I saw they have a new campaign out. I think it's Coke Renew or something similar. I may be wrong on that. But um, where they have, they're leading with the brands that they've, brought, they've um, acquired who are, that have healthy products and cleaner products. And they're retaining everything about those brands and almost now shifting their focus about this is a, this is a new Coca-Cola and that it's not just about that sugary drink that is completely useless uh, and serves no purpose. Um, which I think, you know, is a sign. If Coca-Cola is doing that and if they're shifting and have a whole ca- ad campaign out there promoting some of these individual brands that they've acquired versus diluting the brands and making it more like Coca-Cola. Uh, I, I mean, Coca-Cola as the company, not as the product. Um, I think that's that's kind of um, a, a sign that something big is happening at the moment. Yes, yeah. And, the, and there, are, there will be those types of decisions that um, the larger companies see that demand. They're meeting that demand either through their own products or required products. But then there are going to be those that 
um, they don't they underestimate the intelligence of their customers. Yeah. And consumers are very smart now. Information is very accessible. And so, you know, one change to the integrity of ingredients or, or a product and it's bye-bye for a lot of those customers. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we are starting out with an ethos that we're using whole food ingredients, we're using pure ingredients, that we're using healthier ingredients, and that will be something that we continue with as we progress with other product lines. Yeah, so let's talk about the ingredients. I mean, you mentioned whole food ingredients, uh, which may come as a surprise to some people because your first product is a is a snack and it's a chip. Um, and you you mentioned earlier that you've got these other brands planned uh, you're going to have a, a bacon strip eventually. You're going to have, you know, plant-based meat replacements as such. How are you making them whole food plant-based? And like, what's been the approach around that? Because that is another unique aspect that, and and, and a probably legitimate criticism some brands get in this space is that, yeah, you taste like the real thing, but you've compromised by adding all this sure. bad stuff in here that people don't want. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, the starting point is the starting point. And if you, and if at your starting point, you have that as your ethos that you're not going to use those ingredients, then if you have the ability, like Chef Dave Anderson does, you figure out how to use whole food ingredients to get it to, to have the taste and the texture profile that you're looking for. And so he's not the typical food formulator. A lot of food formulators are using whatever they can. And, uh, that, that, that they'll piece together, you know, ingredients that might not be the healthiest, but they're, they're at the end of the day, they're getting the taste and texture, but sacrificing some of the integrity of the, of the ingredients. Our, Dave is able to use whole food ingredients to get the taste and texture. And so, um, might surprise you, but the core ingredient in our bacon chips, uh, is mushroom. And so while this is a chip, we're not, saying that if you eat seven bags while you're binge watching your favorite Netflix show that you're going to lose weight, it is a fried chip. There's salt on the chip, uh, but there are a number of health benefits. And, and this chip can be eaten out of the bag and it could also be used in recipes. So you can make BLTs with it. You could use it on avocado toast. You could use it in baked potatoes. You could even use it on donuts. That's definitely not going to be your healthiest choice, but, <laughs> but there's so many ways you could use our, our chips in recipes. Mm -hmm. And so compared to bacon, not only is it zero cholesterol compared to real bacon, but it's got four and a half times less saturated fat. It's got, uh, uh, three times less sodium, and the they're uh, they're high in antioxidant. We have antioxidant from vitamin E that's in our product, but we also have antioxidants that come from the mushrooms that are really powerful um, uh, antioxidants. There's also statins in this product. The, the the mushrooms that we use are actually used in nutritional supplements, and so there is what, 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 what it's, it's, it's called a king oyster mushroom. Okay. Uh, in the U.S., it's more of a specialty mm -hmm. product. In in uh, the world, it's yeah. the second most popular mushroom. Uh, and so there's there there are a number of health benefits, including statin. There's a statin called lovastatin that's been shown to reduce cholesterol. They have an antimicrobial, antibacterial properties in these mushrooms. Um, so there are extensive health benefits. Again, we're not marketing it as a, a health, health food. food product because mm -hmm. it is a fried chip. But if you compare it to bacon, the, the differences are, are very measurable. Uh, and then other products that we come out with, the bacon strips and other products are going to have even much more distinguished health benefits. Yeah. And what was the driver for that? Like, what, why did 
why was that important because i'm it by as you said by uh, at, the, at the starting point you're creating restrictions you're creating a, a you know kind of a rule set that you have to operate have uh, dave operate under <laughs> so what was the what what would made you want to do that so one to use health healthy mm-hmm. ingredients and whole food ingredients this is not processed so it's actually a slice of the of the mushroom that's how it's made um but two the ingredients that we're using actually are, are part of the flavor fro- profile. So if we used a potato chip or a corn chip, it would taste like a potato chip or a corn chip and would have this kind of bacony flavor on top of it. The mushroom has this umami flavor to it that mm-hmm. um, is, is kind of one of the flavor components of bacon. And so Dave chose that as um, part of the flavor profile, not just because it's whole food, not just because it, it's got health benefits, but because it's part of the reason it tastes like bacon. The other part is the alchemy that Dave does and the other ways he uh, processes the, 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 or the process that it's made in and some of the other ingredients that, that, um, that fulfill that bacon taste, mm-hmm. but it's not the cheapest product. So, um, you know, we, we didn't want to sacrifice the integrity of the flavor. We didn't want to sacrifice the integrity of the texture. And we certainly didn't want to sacrifice the, the health benefits by using a, a more inferior or a cheaper product. This one is gets the flavor profile, but it's it's more expensive. So as a business, that means we're not going to make as much money. Mm-hmm. But as a gateway product, it's a way for us to sell a product that um, has all these other benefits. And like you said, it has a wow factor. It tastes just like crispy bacon. Um, we'll make we'll make more money on other products. Um, and so we wanted to really have the integrity of the taste and the texture even though from a cost standpoint, it was more expensive than potatoes or other products using mushrooms. Yeah, but then you have a standout first product, which is always important to make a big uh, impact right in the beginning. So it, once again, if people are looking to buy the product, what's what's the best way to get it right now? Yeah, go to pigoutchips.com. In fact, if you go there, there, there are certain incentives you'll see um, and your chance to win free chips. Uh, you're, you're, you'll, you'll have other incentives that you'll see at that site. Uh, ultimately we're going to be in just about every retail store. We start retail store distribution, uh, by September, and then we'll progressively expect to be in whole foods and a variety of other natural and mass market retailers that will be progressive over time. But the best place to get our product and try it and see if you have a wow <laughs> response as well as to go to pigoutchips.com. Yeah, this is a very exciting time. And, you know, I, I, this, um, I'm, your vision is what I was ex- impressed when I started this conversation with the chip itself. But, you know, now I, what's more impressive is that it is part of a much bigger, crucial and important strategy uh, to just get really high quality, healthy plant-based foods um, everywhere. And I think that's uh, uh, definitely a mission I can get behind. Uh, before I kind of start to, you know, wind this down and ask you some my kind of final questions, I want to get a sense, of, you know, you're about a year and a half into this company in the development phase and you're now launched and um, and people can actually buy our products and, and taste it. Uh, what's been, you know, the most challenging aspect of the past uh, year or so and, you know, comparing it to some of your previous entrepreneurial experiences in very different industries. Well, the product development, when you make a product in a test kitchen and then take that developed product from a test kitchen to large-scale manufacturing equipment, everything is different. So 
Dave has a lot of experience doing what's called scale up, going from a test product to a mass produced product. I didn't. So I wanted the product on the market. I wanted it to be sold. I wanted people to try it and, and hear the wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but the reality is that um, the just the equipment differences, the yeah. process, everything changes. And so that's a process that there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of testing. There's a lot of variables that need to be figured out. There's a lot of logistics. We've had our, we, we have this amazing uh, co-packer that we're dealing with that's the manufacturer that's producing our product for us. Uh, they've modified equipment. They've built equipment for us. Um, we've done several test runs on their equipment for Dave to um, use his alchemy and make the the essential changes that he's had to do along the way. But it's a it's a process that takes time, and it takes patience. And it and and you know often from a company and a business perspective, you want to get a product out as quickly as possible. But the product has to be yeah. uh, have all the right profile, and, and that takes time. So I've learned a lot of patience. A lot of patience. <laughs> uh, but once we have this product out, product development on a on a variety of other things we're going to be doing is going to be a lot quicker. Um, and then the other thing is is you know as we started getting into our messaging and our branding and um, even the you know how do we reach mainstream consumers? You know it was really important for me. Uh, not to judge people, not to make people wrong for their choices, but invite them in with great taste and with a unique type of product. Because mm -hmm. no one likes if you're if you're wearing a mink coat and someone sprays paint on it, mm -hmm. the last thing you're going to do is say, "Oh, thank you for doing that. Please tell me why you did that and yeah. what I should be changing." Yeah, let's be friends. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So you know, most people that um, they hear information, they're open to hearing it. They're open to, they're receptive to it, but no one likes to be made wrong for their other choices. Okay. And so it's important for us as a brand that nothing we do is preachy, nothing we do is judgmental, and that everything we do is about great taste. Yeah. I mean, I think we have reached a point right now where that has become easier to do because people know what plant-based foods are. And even if you're not marketing it as plant-based, you're just saying it's a bacon chip and People don't need to ask more questions. They just need to taste it. And they will, whether they eat bacon or not, they'll probably be like, oh, yeah, that's a bacon chip. Um, and that's the point here, right? You've got to be able to, you've got to meet people where they're buying their food. You've got to make this food available. Now, how, that, how you make that happen, it doesn't matter as long as you're making it happen. As long as you're convincing people to get buy more plant-based foods, to eat more plant-based foods, um, at least most of the time, if not all the time. It's a huge win. So we've we've all succeeded in that in that sense. If you convince someone who's going to go uh, to a you know their neighborhood grocery store or to a deli and pick up a bag of chips to have with their sandwich, and they see this and they're like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to try that." And now they know pig out foods, and they probably read the packaging and be like, "This is interesting." And then next time you launch another product, they know exactly what you're about, and that one may be a game changer. So. It is, you know, I know I've said this a couple of times, but I, I just love the way you approach this. Um, it's a very, it takes a lot of patience to have a strategy like that. Uh, and it takes a lot of uh, guts and, and, and vision and planning. Um, but I think, you know, you're off to, to, to an outstanding, wait, I just happen ah, to use that word. That's cool. Very good. I appreciate <laughs> your, your being on brand. Yeah, you just happen to make an outstanding start with this product. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to lead to even bigger and better things. Um, I want to close out with one sort of forward-looking question. 
you know, you've been vegan nearly 30 years, uh, which in itself, you don't need to say anything else. All the <laughs> vegans are going to buy this product based on that alone. Uh, they should because you've probably been vegan longer than most of them. Um, but if you look ahead at 30 years, you know, we, we, you know, we're in this point in our, as a planet, as a civilization, where we may be the last generation that can bring about some change. Um, and that's just talking about the environment. You know, we're also facing a health crisis. And on top of that, and we say this, and anyone who has done any research on this will know that we slaughter billions of animals every year in horrific conditions that even mediators are not happy with or acceptable or okay with. Uh, so if you look ahead like 30 years from now, say the year 2050, I give that year because I think that's probably a point where we will either be have fixed some of these problems and, and changed the world or we will be completely screwed. So I want to ask a positive question, not the, the doomsday scenario, but if outstanding foods in this company and the mission that you have becomes a reality and you along with many other companies in the space that are trying to get plant-based out there for everyone, wherever food is available and eaten. What is your vision of a, of a world if you succeed? Like, what will that food system look like? What will the planet look like? A hell of a lot better than it is now. And so, you know, what, what has been happening over the last few years is there's been this wave and everything travels faster through social media. And you... Almost daily, there are new stories about people of influence that are ditching the meat or becoming more plant-based. You have James Corbin eating his bacon sandwich, thinking about elephants. You have Drake that goes vegan. You have Chloe uh, Kardashian when she's pregnant that decides that she's, she feels she wants to eat more healthy and more plant-based and on and on and on. And these are the, that's the tipping point in my view. And so, you know, our society is influenced by people with influence and more and more of them are becoming plant-based or eating more plant-based. More and more stereotypes are being crushed. You have the, the fittest people in the world that are vegan. The strongest man in the world is vegan. Mm -hmm. The NFL uh, athletes, NFL basketball athletes, players, uh, <laughs> just about the entire defense on the Tennessee Titans are defense are, are, are vegan. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Charity Morgan. Yeah, shout out uh, to Chef Charity yes, Morgan. Yes, Charity Morgan has, has done a fantastic job of not only uh, with her husband, Derek, but the whole team. And uh, you have uh, Kyrie Irving, who's one of the best basketball players in the world, yeah. uh, who's vegan. And uh, so many other athletes and celebrities and performers and people with influence, government. You have Al Gore and uh, Bill Clinton. You have... Cory Booker, you have, you know, so many people there, there, a mayor of Utah had a seven day vegan challenge to his constituency, <laughs> but the, um, the, the wave is growing and we're at the tipping point. And so I have more of an optimistic view that, um, th there's no turning back and that wave, whether, you know, people have their, their, their boots dug in and, they think that I'll never eat like that or I'll never eat, you know, that kind of food. When they find out that the food that they could eat because of companies like Beyond Meat and Daya and hopefully Outstanding Foods becomes one of those iconic companies that they find that they don't have to make a sacrifice to eat food that's healthier for them, healthier for the animals they don't eat, healthier for the planet, that this wave that's happening uh, will 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 
rise even higher and bring more people into the fold. And not only will more people eat more plant-based, but, um, you know, I think the, the attitudes of what the food supply has been and what the food choices have been are changing and changing fast. And I think, you know, we'll wake up in, in, what do you say? 2030, 2050, 2050. <laughs> well, maybe even by 2030, uh -huh. we'll wake up and people will think that meat is the new cigarettes And, um, you know, there'll still be people, you know, who still smoke cigarettes, even though everyone mostly knows that it's not healthy for you, yeah. but they'll meat will, in my opinion, be the new cigarettes and maybe at some point, uh, be even beyond cigarettes because you, you might have a meat free society at some point. And, um, in a, in a sense, it's not something new. It's something going back to the roots of yeah. eating healthy whole foods. Even in the medical profession, the, the Hippocratic oath is let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. But we all know doctors aren't prescribing for the most part, a vegan diet for their, um, uh, for their patients. They're prescribing all these pharmaceuticals, but many, many, many now are and have been prescribing plant-based diets. Even major hospitals now advocate plant-based mm -hmm. diets for the health of their patients. So the shift is happening and w more and more people will get on board, not even so much because of the social messages or even the influence that they're seeing and, and being subjective to, but because of the quality of the choices that are improving. Mm -hmm. And we hope to be part of that. Oh, I think you're you're 100% right. I can't disagree with any of that. And I and I I really think that the because of your experience with entrepreneurship, because of the 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 years that you've put in starting companies and you know growing them and selling them and expanding, you're able to bring that background and combine it with Dave's um, you know, wizardry in the kitchen. Um, and I think you're going to have, you're going to be part of that bigger story that when we look back, I think, uh, 30 years from now, uh, here's where it kind of all started to change, I think. So, you know, I'm with you on that where we are in an interesting time and I'm, I'm so glad that you're part of this, uh, growing movement now. I mean, you've been part of it for 28 years with your personal food choices, but you're now out there spreading it for the whole world. So, uh, wish you a lot of luck and um, thank you so much once again for letting me eat uh, so much of your bacon chips and <laughs> I'm well, going to have much more. Yes, oh. you left some. So when the, when the interview <laughs> is over, please, please make those disappear. Yeah, Bill, thanks so much. It was great hanging out with you and uh, we'll be in touch and uh, hope to have you back on soon to follow the journey of Outstanding Foods. Awesome. It was so outstanding to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.